Dear Heavenly Father, we come now and we thank you for this day, God. Um, we thank you for, once again, for mothers, God, and what they mean to us. And God, what all they've done for us in our life, God. And But this morning, God, though this is a great day for that, though that is an importance, God, we are here um, gathered together in church to hear from you, God. And we pray and ask that that's what we do this morning. That, God, you speak to us, you develop and you, you pursue, you present your word to us this morning. And God, that we don't just listen to it and let it go in one ear and out the other, but God, when we're ready to leave today, God, that we apply these truths to our life, God, and we ask ourselves the hard questions this morning. And I just pray that your will be done in this, God, and your will and your will alone. We love you and we praise you in your son's name. Amen. In this chapter 1, we're going to see that uh, the psalmist, he actually presents um, two type of people. And if you have a Bible that has headings above Scripture, yours may say something like the way of the righteous and the wicked, or the two types of people, or the the righteous and the wicked. Um, But the psalmist, he's presenting two types of people this morning, the the righteous and the wicked. Uh, I was trying to combine those words in my thinking just then. Um, but he, he talks about the righteous and the wicked. Um, and then if we're just going to be real this morning, what that actually does is that divides the world up 50-50. Not, not in quantity, but um, there's only two types of people really. When we look at God's Word and we take in consideration of what He talks about, there's two types of people. There's those that are saved and those that aren't. When we talk about eternal life, there's those that are saved and those that are not. Obviously, that's not talking about racial things or gender or anything like that. But in reality, spiritually, there's two type of people. There's the righteous and there's the wicked. But when I read through this, and when I was reading through it this week, and, and I was really looking at what the psalmist has to say about the righteous man and the wicked man, and I had to first ask myself the question, what is a righteous man? Right, Because if you read throughout the scriptures, if you read especially Romans 3, uh, there's different places in that where uh, Romans 3.23, which one all, most people know is for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But before that, he, he writes and he says, for no one is good, no, not one. So if we're all sinful and we're all fallen and we all make mistakes, then who is righteous? Then who can really be what is righteous? Because righteous, uh, when I think about it, it's this person that is... Uh, not per, perfect or they're worthy or, or uh, they're, they can receive what God has, then who is righteous? If, if no one's perfect and no one's good, no, not one, if we're all broken and sinful because of the fall of Adam and because of the own sin of all lives, then, then who can be righteous? Well, before we get into Psalms 1, I'm going to look at Psalms 32. You don't have to turn with me there. Unless you just want to. Um, But Psalms 32 says this. 32 verses 1 through 5. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven. Whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity. And in whose spirit there is no deceit. For when I kept silent my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up. And by the heat of the summer, 
Uh, I acknowledged my sin to you, and I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. So the first thing, this is actually David writing this song. He says, Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven and whose sin is covered. That is what it means to be righteous. That Psalms 32 verse 1, Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. That is what it means to be righteous. It's, it's not that we're perfect or that we're sin free or that we never make mistakes because that's just not possible. But what he's talking about is that the fact that our transgressions are forgiven and our sin is is covered but how does that happen how is our sin covered how are we free of our transgressions how are we forgiven of those acts in our life it goes to verse 5 he says i acknowledge my sin to you and i did not cover my iniquity i said i will confess my transgressions to the lord and you forgave the iniquity of my sin and so what we see is that david is explaining how he found this forgiveness and this covering of his sin was by confessing by confessing of his sins to the Lord. And that's what we see is that we are saved from the transgressions of our sin when we ask forgiveness. And then what happens is this is the idea of regeneration, is that we are saved through Christ and Christ alone when we ask forgiveness of our sins. That when we come to know Christ, that is what makes us righteous. We're not righteous by our own works or by our own possibilities, but we're righteous because God has saved us in the work of the Trinity. And what's so amazing about that is we have to ask for this forgiveness. We have to ask for God to forgive us of these things. But I want to look at another verse on this. It's Romans 4, 7. Romans 4, 7 and 8. Paul is actually quoting Psalms 32. And he, he kind of words it a little different. He says, Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. So what we see about the righteous man is the righteous man is the one that asks forgiveness, that, that, that is redeemed through Christ and Christ alone. The righteous man is, if you're here and you've come to know Christ and you've asked forgiveness of your sin and the Holy Spirit has come and He dwells within you, then you are the righteous person. You're not sin-free. You're not perfect. You're not... Uh, above reproach completely, but you are righteous in the sense that your sin is forgiven. So, we understand what the righteous person is, and so what is the wicked person? If that's what the righteous person is, the wicked person is simply those that have not come to know Christ. It's those that do not have a relationship with Jesus and have not repented of their sin and turned to Him for salvation. So, we see that so far. We see that the righteous one is the one that has come to salvation. The wicked is the one that hasn't. But let's look at the outcome. Uh, I want to start by looking at verses 5 and 6 instead of looking at 1. Um, because if you read 5 and 6, it is actually kind of gloomy. And I want to end on the challenge that God has for us rather than the outcome of both uh, uh, righteous and wicked. Verse 5, Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Uh, so he says, Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, that those that don't come to Christ, those that have not been forgiven of their sin, and have not uh, repented of their sin, and, and allowed Christ to be the King of kings and the Lord of lords that He is in their lives, 
then what happens is they will not be able to stand in judgment. And what this is, uh, what I really want us to understand from that is the idea of the final judgment, the white throne of God, that when, when God will separate the wheat from the tares. And we're gonna, later on, we're going to read Matthew 7, where it says that He cuts down the limbs and casts them into the fire. That This idea is that the outcome of those that are not righteous, those that are sinful, those that have not been redeemed through the blood of Christ, the outcome is that they will perish. And that's just the reality, and it's not something we like to think about. It's not something that, uh, even today, there's so many pastors that won't even preach on the fact of, and the reality of hell, but it is simple and true that through God's Word, we see that those that come to know Christ will inherit eternal life, and those that don't will inherit eternal death. That is the outcome, one way or the other. And, and as I started off with, that's a 50-50 there. That splits us all down the middle. Either we're saved or we're not. So that is the outcome, is that those that don't know Christ will eternal perish and eternal death, and those that do know Christ will have eternal life. So we know who the righteous and who the wicked is. We know the outcome. So what does he have to say to us? If you're here this morning, if you've come to know Christ and you've been saved through that redemption, then you're the righteous person that He is speaking to. And what is He saying to us? Also, if you're here and you don't know Christ and you've never come to this redemption and you've never truly repented of your sin, I pray that the day would be that day and that you listen to the Holy Spirit as He calls. Um, but what is He saying to the righteous person? What is He trying to communicate in Psalms chapter 1? He says, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seats of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by a stream of water that yields its fruits in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does he, pro he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like the chaff in the wind that drives away. So he begins in verses 1 through 3, and he's talking to the righteous person. He's presenting how the righteous person ought not to live and ought to live. He's presenting how we should live and how we should not live. And so when we look at this, the first thing I want us to see is how he tells us the righteous person doesn't live. But the thing is, he's not saying this as a prescription that we should watch ourselves. He's saying that the actual righteous person, the one that comes to the saving grace of Christ, that He has changed through the Holy Spirit and He has redeemed uh, and forgiven of their sin and it caused a reaction in their life and this should be the outcome. That when we come to know Christ, this is, should be the outcome of our salvation. It says, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked. Um, when you really think about this, is the idea of walking not in the counsel of the wicked is the idea of, of not taking advice from those that are wicked, those that are sinful, those that are not redeemed by Christ. We should not take the counsel of those. That's, that doesn't mean that if we're going down the street um, and we need directions, that we look at that man and we don't think they're saved, so we don't ask their opinion. That's not what he's saying. But what he's saying is uh, really the book of Job, if you remember that story, um, Job lost everything he had, right? Job lost his family, his house, his possessions. He lost everything that you can imagine losing, uh, except for some friends and his wife. And his friends come to him, and they tell him to curse God and turn away. And then his wife comes to him, and she tells him the same thing. 
that to curse God and turn away. That right there, that is the counsel of the wicked. The counsel of the wicked is that the advice from those that, that are against God's word. It could be the aspect of maybe you have that person at work that, that tells you that, um, you know, take that hour, take that money. Um, it all is going to equal out at the end. Or maybe it's that person that uh, when you find yourself in a difficult time in your marriage or whatever the case may be, they tell you to, you know, get a divorce because that's the right thing to do. You're just, you should be happy. But what we see is these all things are against God's word, that God's word is to, uh, to live a life that represents Jesus. And if the advice of those around us are, are against that, then that is the counsel of the wicked. Those that are against God's word, that, that tell you to do things that are, are against his word, that is the counsel of the wicked. And he's saying that those that are righteous does not walk in that counsel. And then he goes on and says, nor stands in the way of the sinners. That the, the righteous person, they live differently. They're not doing the same thing that the wicked person does. And to humble us a little bit, I want you to think of right now, if you would, think back to the moment that you come to know Christ. Uh, for some of you, that may have been when you were 5, 6, 8, 10, 12, 20, 30, 40, I don't know. I don't know all of your timelines there but think back to the moment that you come to know Christ was anybody older than 20 when they received salvation anybody we're in the south so it's very possible it's not true but anyhow so what we see is that we all had this moment right we all have this moment where we come to know Christ we've been forgiven of our sins and in that moment uh, you are the righteous but before that moment before you come to know Christ you were the wicked person that he's talking about here. You were the person that did not know Jesus. And a lot of us, if we look back on our life, even if we were young when we come to salvation, there were things that we did and there's ways that we lived our life that we shouldn't have. There's ways that uh, even if you were young, you might have disobeyed your parents in a way that you shouldn't have. You might have had an attitude you shouldn't have had. You might have use language you shouldn't have. You could have done things that you shouldn't have done. And that's what he's saying here is that the, those that are righteous should not stand in the way of the sinners, that they should live a different life than they once had. That when you come to know Christ, it causes you to live differently, that you're no longer making a practice of living like those that are wicked. Now, does this mean you're going to be perfect? Does this mean that you're never going to fall back into sin and that you're going to live a, a perfect life from now on? No, that is not what the psalmist is trying to get out here. But he's talking about a lifestyle. That you're no longer going to live a lifestyle that you once lived. You may fall into temptation and fall into sin and, and fall into your own passions of, of the flesh. But in reality, that does not mean that you are going to be perfect, but that you're not going to practice these things any longer. Then he goes on, he says, that the righteous person should not sit in the seat of the scoffer. Um, that's not a word we really use nowadays, right? Scoffer. Do you refer to somebody at work? Oh, that's a scoffer there. No, right? We don't use this word much. And so I had to look it up, and uh, really the best thing that I could get down to in, in trying to understand it is the practice of arrogance and pride. That we, we don't sit in the seat of arrogance and pride any longer. That we no longer live our lives for ourselves, but we now we live it for the Lord. And so what we see in all of this is that he presents three things that the wicked do that the righteous should not. We shouldn't walk in the counsel of the wicked. We shouldn't take advice that are contrary to God's word. 
We shouldn't live like we once lived. We shouldn't live and make a practice of living as the sinner. And we shouldn't be prideful and arrogant. But how do we prevent those things? Because let's just be honest. uh, it's, It's very easy to do the second thing we shouldn't do, right? It's very easy to slip back into thinking the same way we used to think. Doing the same thing we used to do. It's easy to find ourselves in those moments. So how do we prevent that? How does the psalmist explain that we should prevent this? Verse 2, if you look at it with me. He says, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on on his law he meditates day and night. That the righteous person, instead of doing these things, his delight is in the Lord and, and the law of the Lord and that he meditates on this law day and night. Um, the law is really what it's referring to is God's word or you can look at it as God's instruction. Uh, and so I want to look at the first statement. It says, but his delight is in the instruction of the Lord, in the word of the Lord, that we should delight in living the, out the instruction that God has for us. That we live our life now for Him and not for ourselves. We now live our life in a way that represents Him and glorifies Him, not in a way that glorifies ourselves. We now don't live the same life we once lived, but we live a life that glorifies and brings glory and honor to Him. But how do we even do that? Because we delight in the way of the Lord, but He says it accomplishes it on His law. He meditates day and night. That we do all of these things. We prevent ourselves from acting uh, like the wicked, and we prevent ourselves from acting like we once did, and, but, and we live like the righteous man should by meditating on the Word day and night. That doesn't mean that you should get up and read the Bible every morning and every night. That, what it really means is that you should read God's Word daily. Uh, and I'm a bit advocate. Many people would say that you should read it uh, first thing in the morning. That is a wonderful thing to do. It helps get your day off uh, perfect. Uh, but if you're anything like me, you're not a morning person. So I'm not advocating that we read it first thing in the morning. But what I am saying is that daily we should be reading God's Word and meditating on it. That we should read God's Word and then apply God's Word to our life. We should be reading His Word and living out the truth that God's Word has to say to us. We should be studying it, uh, maybe even journaling it, maybe even praying it over your life, but meditating on God's Word and not just reading it, folding your Bible down and putting it on the nightstand and going to sleep. Rather, you should be reading God's Word and applying its truths to your life. There's different ways that this could be happening. You could, uh, it, one big aspect of it is sitting under the preaching of God's Word, being a part of small groups, being a part of Bible studies. Uh, maybe you're that person that you, you listen to stuff all the time. You can listen to God's Word on e-books, on audio books. You could, uh, they even have CDs and stuff like that. Uh, you can, there's different ways nowadays in the world of technology that we can be living these things out. But the reality is we're called to do it. Ultimately, we're called to sit under the preaching of God's Word, but also we're called to do it in our individual lives as well. I wanted to read James 1.22. I'll just reference it. Uh, we actually just did this study on James, so it should be pretty common. But James 1.22 says, Be doers of the words and not only hearers. And what the psalmist is saying here is that we should meditate on God's Word day and night. We should apply it, but we also should apply these truths to our lives and we should live by the instructions of the Lord. That when we read God's word, we apply the truth to our lives and we live for him. The righteous person meditates on God's word daily and lives for him.
then in verse 3, uh, the psalmist prevents, presents this analogy. Uh, there's probably a better word for that in poetry, but like I said, I don't know poetry. Uh, but he presents this analogy because I know it's not one. He said, the righteous person, he is like a tree. Like a tree, and I'm not reading this word for word, like a tree that is planted by the river, and this tree that is planted by the river, um, he yields fruits in its season, but its leaves does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. That this righteous person, he's like a tree. Um, and this is a different time period where if they wanted water, it either had to come by rain or they had to dig uh, aqueducts. I think that's the right pronunciation. Uh, and they would have to dig these aqueducts from the river to the plants. And that's how water got to them. They didn't plug up the water hose and put a sprinkler out there, you know, like we have today. And so he's using this analogy. He's like, he says, it's like a tree. This righteous person, he is like a tree that is planted by the river. And this, this river, what it does is it produces life for this tree. It, it feeds this tree. It gives it the nutrients that it's needed, needed to grow. And, and this tree that is receiving this nutrients, then what happens is that it, it yields its fruits in its season. Uh, and I think that's an important aspect that we understand is the fact that it produces fruits, but not only it's producing fruits, but in its season. You think about an apple tree. An apple tree doesn't produce apples year-round, does it? I mean, I'm asking you. I really don't know. Uh, most trees don't. Most most uh, most uh, plants don't do that. You think about uh, the different seasons that plants have. Uh, if I'm not mistaken, like right now, there's a lot of corn and peas and stuff being planted. But also after that, you know, there's stuff that you plant in the fall and there's stuff you plant in these different times of the year. Plants have seasons, right? And in, in that season, they produce fruit. But if it's outside of their season, they may not produce fruit like they need to. But the importance of that is, and its leaf does not wither. This, it doesn't mean these, these things die, but they're just not producing in that moment. So the psalmist, he's presenting that the righteous man is like this. He's like this tree that produces fruit in the season, and when it's not in the season, it is still alive and it is still thriving. How does that connect to us? How does that make sense to us? How is a righteous person really like that? Well, imagine you're a tree this morning, all right? Because this is really what this analogy would be. Imagine you're a tree and you're planted somewhere in life, right? God has planted you where you are. And I look out and I see that, you know, some of us are in our hometown. Some of us aren't. Some of us are living places you probably never would imagine. But God has planted you somewhere. But He has also, He's planted you to, to buy the stream. And that stream is His self. That God has planted you somewhere, but He is calling you to, to depend on His nutrients. And what his nutrients is, is as he just said, is meditating on his day, on his word day and night and, and delighting in it. That that is how we're fed. That is how God provides the water to provide the fruit. We're called to have fruit in our life, but also I want to make a point to where it says in its season. That every time you go out and you share the gospel with somebody or uh, even a small fruit, every time that you go out and you may invite somebody to church, this doesn't mean that there's always going to be a good response. Uh, and, if, and if you actually share the gospel enough, you will probably have some negative responses that make you want to stop. You'll have people cuss you out. You'll have people uh, make fun of you because of what you believe in. Uh, and you'll have, you have people that respond positively, but you will have that negative. Uh, you'll meet people that don't want to hear anything. Uh, but in its season that God is going to provide fruit in your life if you're doing the work He's called you to do. This doesn't mean every response is going to be positive, but He will provide fruit. And then when He doesn't, when that fruit's not there, 
He says, and its leaves do not wither. That God is still neutralizing you. He's still providing this, this, this life in you. You still should depend on His Word to provide a life that it's given through the living water, as we see He refers to it in Matthew. So, when we see all this, I wanted to read Matthew 7, 15 through 20. I want to end with that. Matthew 7, 15 through 20. If you want to look at it with me, you're welcome to. Matthew 7, 15 through 20. Uh, he says this, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravious wolves. You will recognize them by their fruit, or grapes gathered from th- thorn bushes or figs from thistles. So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but every diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you will recognize them by their fruit. He's really talking about false prophets here, but in 17 he, pre- he just presents this truth that goes so perfect. So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. What Jesus is saying and what the psalmist is saying is that the righteous person, when they come to know Christ, it causes them to live differently. It causes them to live in such a way that they delight in God's Word. They meditate on His Word. And when they do so, it's like that tree that produces good fruit, that God produces fruit in your life. That when we come to know Christ, we come to salvation. We become this righteous man, this righteous woman. And what happens is we begin to live for Him. And when we do so, there is fruit that comes in seasons. That, that God does a work in and through you. He doesn't say that this should be the case. He doesn't say that, that this possibly is the case. What the psalmist is explaining is this is what happens in a righteous man's life. Don't get discouraged. Maybe this morning you're here and you're in that season where God is just providing life. Maybe not fruit. Maybe you don't need to be discouraged right now that, that maybe there's not a lot of fruit going on, but God is teaching and developing you and growing you to be who He's called you to be. Hold on to that. But it's clear through all of this it should cause us to ask some questions in our own life and be 100% certain because, see, in Matthew chapter 7, He says, Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into a fire. Thus you will recognize them by their fruits. That in reality, if, if those that don't know Christ, what happens is they get cut down and they get casted into the fire. That they have this eternal death as we talked about earlier. So it should cause us to really be serious and not to question our salvation. I don't ever want anybody to do that. But I do want you to ask the hard questions at times. Was that moment that you thought back to a little bit ago, was that truly a, com- a salvation moment? Did you truly repent and come to Christ in that moment? Or did you walk an aisle and say a prayer because that's what you thought you had to do? Or did you walk an aisle and say a prayer because somebody else did it? Or or was that moment a true salvation moment? Maybe you're here and you never had that moment. And you you were trying to think back to a moment when this happened and you just couldn't. Then also, are you committing to yourself? If you're here and you know without a doubt you've been saved, are you committing your life to Christ? See, as I said earlier, we are not perfect. We find ourselves in moments where we're uh, farther away from God than we think we should be. Maybe you're there this morning. Maybe you, you, you're thinking that maybe, maybe I'm a little farther away from that water than I need to be. 
Maybe I haven't been meditating on my word daily. Maybe I haven't been uh, living a life that's going to produce fruit in my life. Because the thing is, a tree that doesn't get water, eventually you'll die, right? But before then, it'll, get, it'll, it'll look sickly. It won't have the, the nice green leaves and all that. It'll be sickly. It'll, you'll see a, a, a start of death, but in reality, that can change. It's like this plant here, actually. If you're here and you're part of this church, you see this plant and it's worse, and it's worse sometimes. Sometimes all the, all the, the leaves are laying down and Deborah's back there cringing because I know she loves this kind of stuff. Uh, but then in moments when you give it a little bit of water, like we did Wednesday night, it, it perks back up, right? Maybe you're here this morning and you know you've been saved. You know that salvation was a genuine. Uh, and you just you need to be regenerated by Christ. I pray that um, you make a commitment to Him today. You, you commit your life to Him again. Uh, and you tell Him that you're going to do better this time. And you're going to ask for His strength uh, to do so. And then ultimately, the question that stands is, are you going to allow God's Word to guide your life? Uh, that's what we see the righteous man does. The righteous man allows God to, to guide their life. They follow the instruction of the word of the Lord. This morning, if you're here and you think that salvation moment wasn't a genuine, I pray that you come see me afterwards. If you're here and you think about that salvation moment, you know it's genuine, but you really you haven't been committed to God's word, but you really just don't know what to do. You don't know how to get back into it. I'm here to talk to me. Or maybe you're here and you're doing everything right. You're in your word daily, you're, you're praying, you're talking to the Lord, you're sharing the gospel, you're trying to make disciples, you're part of the church, you're doing everything that you could be doing. I encourage you to keep it up. Because in reality, we're all at one or three places. We're either lost or we're saved. And then when we're saved, we're either doing what, is, what we should be or we're doing what we shouldn't be. This morning, where are you at? Dear Heavenly Father, I come now and I thank you for this day, God. I thank you for who you are and what you are. I thank you for Christ. I thank you for the salvation we have in Him, God, and for the forgiveness of sin and for the sanctification. And God, I thank you for planting us by that river where you feed us your nutrients, God. But I pray this morning, God, if there's someone here and they they don't have that relationship with you or they look back and they're really just not sure that that moment that they walked that aisle was really true and genuine, God, it wouldn't be the first time I've seen it. God, I've seen older and younger and I've seen middle-aged I've seen people on their deathbed God God I pray that you do a work in that only you can do God but I pray that ultimately all of us that have come to that salvation all of us that are considered righteous in your eyes because of the blood of Christ I pray that we are living a life that you've called us to live we love you we praise you and we glorify you in your son's holy name amen if you would stand with us and let's sing this last song